Science. Hello and welcome to Probably Science. I'm Andy Wood. Hey, I'm Matt Kirshen, and we are back. We've come back from the Podfest. We're back in our normal location. Mm-hmm. Thank you, by the way. Thank you so much, everyone who came out at the Podfest. That was really cool. There were people wearing Probably Science t-shirts sat up front. Uh, I know some of you tuned in online as well. That was really cool. So thank you very much, yeah, everyone who yeah. And thanks helped. to Pat and Oswald and Sean Carroll and Brooks Whelan for that, joining us. Yeah. yeah. They were quite good in the end. Who you knew? Know, I, I had my doubts. I had my doubts yeah. about all three, but they were proven uh, unfounded. They really pulled it out at the end. Yeah. <laughs> that was a great time. Um, and as we said before, you can still watch the video archives of that show if you just go to LAPodfest.com and click on live or video archives and then um, use the code SCIENCE. And it'll knock $5 off of that. You yeah, can see you all the shows. access to all of the shows at PodFest, all of the panels, all of the performers, including our two guests. This mm-hmm. is an LA PodFest crossover episode. Oh, look at that segue. I know. Two people I had the joy of meeting at the PodFest. Wonderful people who also have a great podcast. Two Kiwis. Are you, are you our first Kiwi guests? I don't know. We had New Zealanders uh, on uh, before. Uh, we had a, um, 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 <laughs> Reese Darby. Oh, we have had Reese yeah. Darby on before. But now we've tripled the number hey. of Kiwis on here. We have Tim Bat and Guy Montgomery. Pleasure to be here. Thank you, Matt. Thanks for coming. Hosts of the Worst Idea of All Time podcast. I did get it right this time, right? You did. Um, I was worried because I kept calling it the wrong thing. I kept calling it variances of like Worst Idea in the Worlds. And then I was relieved to listen to your show and realized you consistently did the same thing for the first we certainly handful did. of episodes. Yeah. To, in full uh, fairness to you, Matt, as well, I had swore black and blue that I saw you performing on stage uh, during this trip, which never happened. That's absolutely true. I had married a, a memory <laughs> of seeing Stu Goldsmith's gig and you at the gig, I think, and then attributed you to being yeah, on stage. Not even at the gig. I wasn't even there that night. Far out, man. <laughs> what a time to be alive <laughs> <laughs> so should we explain to the audience what the what the uh, premise of your podcast yeah. is or do you want to uh yeah if, if, if they so desire i think it's worth if you don't you can just fast it'll take about a minute uh so hit that 15 button four times <laughs> welcome back uh no <laughs> so it's pretty much uh tim and i it's a movie review podcast uh wherein the movie doesn't change so for season one tim bat and myself Guy Montgomery, watched and reviewed the movie the adam sandler comedy grown-ups 2 uh, every week for a year. So that's 52, <laughs> 52 screenings uh, and a descent into the pits of hell. Uh, and then at the end of the year, we said to ourselves, hey, do you know what would be a really good idea is to do it all again, uh, but this time with Sex in the City too. Uh, so we're currently <laughs> embroiled in a, a, grapple, a grappling, wrestling sort of match with a, a python in the form of Sex in the City 2 with a runtime of two and a half hours. It's too long. How did you settle on the two movies so far? Grown Ups 2, we knew it had a big comedy ensemble cast, and we also were kind of aware that it wasn't very good, that uh-huh. it was sort of critically panned, but we didn't know much about it. We sort of fluked it with that one. It just seemed to be in that great band of it was a big budget movie that was bad, but not so bad that it's enjoyably bla- bad. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, difficult to not reverse engineer us being geniuses and choosing the perfect movie, <laughs> but we really walked into it. We were going to do Grown Ups, and then we were like, actually, it'll be funnier to do the sequel. It really is funnier <laughs> yeah, to yeah. just start with the sequel. Exactly. It's an already terrible movie. Yeah, Neither yeah. of us had seen the first one, so we had no context yeah, or anything. Like, <laughs> so lots of the show had become us trying to guess what happened in the first movie based on the clues. And, and then like, still not 
you, and when you're in the like really when you're going super loopy, you'd be like maybe the first movie warrants this entire like maybe the first movie is a set of elaborate setups and these are all elaborate callbacks okay. and it's on us for not having put the two together. Uh, it turns out that was very misguided, unsurprisingly, <laughs> and they're wait- both they're both garbage. So yeah, we waited until we'd finished watching it fifty two times to watch Grown Ups One. Okay, excellent. Uh, and Sex and City Two, we just thought our eyes were bigger than our stomach on that one. If I'm being honest, Andy. <laughs> Uh, we just thought that was the funniest possible choice because we saw it was two and a half hours and we saw the movie poster. But there was no consideration for the real world consequences of watching this two and a half hour movie. It's like week. you give up an extra hour of, you give up 52 hours of your life this year just by picking a too long movie. Yeah. You know, yes. an extra hour of running time is that is up. That is correct. Way to slam it <laughs> on. <laughs> How many Sex in the City viewings are you up to now? 31. <laughs> We've done so. The next one will be thirty-two. Do yeah. You, do you remember all the puns off the top of your head now? Mm. Into French and into French and midwife crisis. We actually Lor- Lawrence of Mylabia. Yeah, yeah. Is which is like an old friends joke. That's like Phoebe Buffay's sister uh, starred in a porno called Lawrence of Mylabia. I'm like, what? Six and thirty-two is. Pro- the, I reckon it. the joke existed. The joke, yeah. yeah. But that's like a even if it exists across all mediums. To have it benchmarked on a very popular television show, you'd think that's off, off, off limits. They've got for that like... one. The point is, Andy, it's a garbage movie. Uh, it's a two and a half yeah. hour garbage pile. Don't of movie. poke the beast because we'll just bleed our garbage into your wonderful, informative, hilarious podcast. I still haven't seen either. I've just seen. I read so many reviews that I loved of Sex and the City too that I felt like I got to enjoy it vicariously. And then Grown Ups, I had to see the first one because I was dating a big Adam Sandler fan at the time. And I, was it I Adam was, Sandler? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I forgot that time yeah. you dated Adam Sandler. Yeah. We were trying to keep it a little low profile, but um, it's weird how you can just block out a part. <laughs> <laughs> that was huge. That was a huge thing. <laughs> it was significant in both of our lives. Yeah, his was, wife would have been devastated. <laughs> I think a lot of that relationship comes through their undertones of Grown Ups too. I think to refer to, um, but no, I sat in the, I sat there with just arms crossed, uh, like uh, eyes rolled so hard that my head hurt. And, and my <laughs> girlfriend for making me watch Grown Ups one. All I know about Grown Ups 2 is uh, Matt and I worked on Ridiculousness together, and David Spade was a guest, and the clip that we pulled to show was... Oh, God, I forgot that was a thing. Yeah. yeah that was, was from that film. Mm-hmm. Was, they put him inside of a giant tire. Ah, uh, yeah. That was, a, that was a big sort of song and dance m- number for the film. That was a seminal moment in Grown Ups 2. Do you know, you guys used the clip of me in Ridiculousness at Did one we? point. Yeah, I had to sign a clearance form for it. It was like a YouTube clip of me getting... Um, shot in the throat at point blank range with a CO2 powered t-shirt cannon and it really messed me up well, unsurprisingly you idiot yeah well no we weren't aiming for my throat we were aiming for my shoulder but it was silly as well because we did You've a got test. a pretty small throat yeah I know we did a test and it hit me and it, it was Matt Heath who shot it a guy who I used to produce his radio show we thought it'd be funny we went to Christchurch and we were on tour so crazy things happened and we did a test and he hit me in the shoulder and it almost dislocated my entire arm. And we were like, whoa, we shouldn't do that again. And then for some reason, as soon as we went on air, we were like, we're shooting Tim with the T-shirt cannon. Oh, man. And it hit me in the throat and I couldn't talk for three days. But you guys oh got God. the clip and it was used on the show. And you got paid very meagerly, meagerly I, I'm sure. I think Matt got the cash that... Because he was the shooter? Yeah. He took the real risk. I've really got to hit him up. He took the risk of being well, prosecuted. By shooter, I actually meant camera shooter, although I realize <laughs> oh, there's now yeah. full ambiguity in that sentence. Yeah. But yeah, I believe the rights to any clip rests with the person who actually presses the camera button rather than the... That is good to know. The there were, party. Yeah, because there was that case, wasn't there, about the... Uh, 
Hey, what animal was it that took a photo of itself? Oh, the chimpanzee was it? Or a, I think um, so. I don't yeah. know about that. Yeah, it was some kind of ape or monkey. This was recent. This was like within the last 12 months. And yeah. it became a legal case on who owned the rights yeah. to the photo. Was, the, was this the people well, versus so, bubbles? Yeah. It sounds like the people versus bubbles. Yeah. So what the, the owner of the smartphone presumably was saying, that's my photo. Yeah. yeah. Earn off that. And then what? Did the so, ape mount a... Defense. Well, you know here's, it. here's what it was. Here was the photo. Hang on, I'll show it to you guys, but uh, obviously the listeners at home can't see, but you might remember oh, the story. Wow. We'll post it on probablyscience.com. And what it was was the photographer set up a camera with, like, he set set it up with a trigger that would then be would then be triggered by the animal going past. He was trying to he was trying to get those kind of pictures. He was trying to get those yeah. kind of pictures. Um, I think, or was it that the camera even got his camera got taken? I think his camera got. Taken oh no, that's right. His by... ca- Yes. Ch- is it a chimp? He set up a tripod and walked away for a few moments, and the monkey grabbed his camera and started snapping pictures. But then the picture showed up, and it's a great picture of this sort of grin- monkey grinning straight down the lens. It looks wonderful. Uh, and then it got put up on Wikipedia, and the photographer ended up in a dispute with Wikimedia Commons, who owns Wikipedia, because he claims it's his photo, and they were claiming the rights lie with the taker of the photograph which the, is a monkey which is a monkey and monkeys can't legally own things therefore it's common ownership oh wow and, what a brilliant and they won the they, they did win yeah. yeah the photographer lost that picture it is now public this makes me wonder if the box office revenue for Grown Ups 2 should in fact be going to a primate <laughs> of some sort <laughs> well it did oh yeah <laughs> I, not to speak ill of your ex-boyfriend but <laughs> the man is a monkey he's a monkey man <laughs> He's and I can't believe he doesn't know what he's like. He knows exactly what well, he's doing. Well, this is another interesting point of speculation is because funny people was I mean it could be read as being very self-referential and that you know he's sort of disgruntled with yeah. his career and he's, he's he built up a really good fan base and then kind of weed all over them with a series of sort of cashing in flops and it felt so self-referential to me. I was like, well, maybe this is Sandler putting a pin in that part of his career and he's going to take himself seriously again for the remainder. And then he just went out and released a slew of garbage. <laughs> yeah. And if you're listening at him, I really respect you. And, I, you know, I can't say that enough. Like, you know, you're a big reason why I try and be funny. But stop pissing on me as a fan, please. It's just, I feel like it's it has to do with this cottage industry he has going. Like the Happy Madison people. Like he has all these friends relying on him. It's like a huge entourage. Yeah, 100%. He can't stop. So yeah. he has to just put out things we, every year. We I get think. pretty deep into some of the, like around the, the, the business model theories yeah. uh, in season he, one. There's absolutely families relying on Sandler's oh, yeah. steaming piles of crap that he releases at the cinema. And, you know... Listen, people are still buying tickets, right. so you know someone's watching. All it. power to everyone involved, exactly. And it makes you wonder, like I couldn't reverse engineer a bad movie that would be a hit. So mm. I, there's a secret to it. It's not just just making something dumb doesn't guarantee it'll also be a hit. So he's you have to, out how you have to, to build it. up 15 years of goodwill and reputation, right, right. and then include a enormous cast of stars. Yeah, yeah, and then it. also trade on the reputation the sort of. Your friends have spent 15 years building. Yeah. And Did, then all of you, cumulatively at one moment, just pulling the fingers at your audience. <laughs> uh, Guy and Tim, we always ask our guests this before we get into the stories. What, if anything, is your background in science? And that has ranged from I'm a professor to I dropped out of high school, but I like blowing stuff up in the woods to there was a class or a teacher that I liked or anything. I got 25% in fourth form chemistry. All right. Nice. I wrote a letter to the teacher on the exam paper saying I don't remember being taught this. And then <laughs> I got given something called a Saturday night detention, which was one of the worst detentions you can get. We have to go into the school on a Saturday night and I had to do exactly the same exam again. Same questions. I got 39% on the research. <laughs> the percentage increase in that percentage is pretty high, though. Yeah, well, that's what I think, yeah. too. 
So well, being a punishment was the Saturday night detention also more funky than the average one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they they blast soul music at you, which makes it really hard to focus on the exam, especially one that I didn't know a lot about. All the um, teachers are in rollerblades. I mean, it seemed counterintuitive. So on that second exam, I were earlier saying, can we please calm down on the soul music? I'm finding it hard to focus. Uh, and then other than that, nothing. I, 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 I'm happy to just look at everything and know there are people who are figuring out how it works and how mm. everything's functioning, and I'm happy to just guess at everything and then until proven otherwise. Nice. And Tim? Um, so I don't have any formal education whatsoever in science or professional experience whatsoever. I think it's groovy. I'm a big fan of science. I'm a bit of a geek. Like, I like hardware. I'm a bit of a gearhead. Okay. So I like computers and technology and that sort of stuff and how science interlinks with that. Um, Your brain's got no off switch, though. You're always yeah. like you're always consuming science news. Yeah. I don't know. I, don't I know. like to find out about things. Like, Guy and I are geared totally differently when it comes to this sort of stuff, which is great, because Guy will just sort of see something happening and be like, yep, cool, it works. And I'll <laughs> yeah. be like, how the... How does that work? Like, I've got to figure out what's going on there. And I usually don't because I don't have enough kind of <laughs> physics-based knowledge or uh, electronics-based knowledge uh-huh. to figure it out to, like, a proper level. But I kind of I, – I like tinkering and I like figuring stuff out. And nice. Big and, science. And how did you and Guy board. meet in the first place and start working together? And I uh, reviewed public toilets on a TV show that Guy hosted once a week. And uh, the segment got very popular. It's called The Lure Review. Excellent, excellent. And then the the whole station got cancelled, unfortunately. And then we had to figure out because we, we wanted to keep creating stuff together, uh, which is when the podcast started. Excellent. Uh, what did you learn about public toilets in the course of review, reviewing all this? I learned that, um, like people, public toilets come in all shapes and sizes, and sometimes <laughs> you've just got to take them for what they are on their own terms. You also found that not a lot of uh, public toilets in New Zealand provide Wi-Fi. Yeah. So I had a set of rolling criteria, which would be different each week. Uh, although the one category that would never change is Wi-Fi. I would always score out of five points uh, how the, the, the restroom's <laughs> Wi-Fi access was. Like not just whether there was access, but how fast the connection was once you were on. Reliability, okay. speed, upload, download. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which would give you a, a, t- a total of out of five. Now, how many of those... Uh, pl- like, can you give an approximate percentage of how many have the toilet paper that you can keep on rolling versus the ones that are stuck on the thing that's so tight that all you can do is wrap the paper back around the thing yeah. so that kids can't... Uh... So I would estimate in New Zealand, it seems to be a more um, <laughs> lower rent toilet will have the one where you can't just go ad infinitum, yeah. grabbing as much toilet paper as you want. I would say probably only about 30% of the toilets I looked at would fall in that category. Okay. I reviewed some great shitters, if I can say that, <laughs> on the podcast. Um, some wonderful lavatories. Uh, in fact, Auckland hosts one of the greatest public toilets I've seen in the world, uh, which is in Q Theatre on uh, Queen Street. Oh, yeah. The it's toilets just got it there all. are a delight. Nice. Yeah, and they're quite famous around the city. Wow, you know, among those who care about such things. Uh, so really a bit of a community. There's some subreddits going. Yeah. <laughs> what about the ones that are just half walls, like four-foot-high stalls, presumably to stop like people from just shooting up in the stalls? Like Santa Monica has a bunch of those. So if you sat down, your privates would be private for the you sake make of an eye contact for with the those sake, around yeah, you. Like your head is over the top as you're shitting. If you if you had the balls to even try to, what use do, I mean, Matt, that only lives in say, England. What do you make? Of I thought you meant to say, Matt, your head wouldn't be over the top. <laughs> <laughs> Zen. Uh, I don't know. Do they? I think they. I don't think they have the full like to that extent. But they definitely have. I think America definitely leads the world in toilets where the gap between the door and the wall is sufficiently 
wide as to be able to see straight yeah. in. Like LAX is great for that. It's like you can just walk past and see three or four people just going at it. The way you describe great for that would suggest that this is a hobby of yours. <laughs> I, it's it's something I've just fallen into. Yeah, yeah. No one plans to get into this. It's a popular scene. But I'll tell you what, there's a lot of, um, particularly in Japan, because I would start following like toilet news and stuff. Oh, okay. A lot of innovative technologies in Japan. Oh, yeah. Toilets. They've like, got this fancy multi-bidet thing. There's also, yeah. like, I've experienced them. Oh, there you yeah. go. While we're on the topic, I'd also like to speak to the urinals here in America. Uh, this is I, 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 just to you. the men's urinals, but okay. they, they, they're very low here. They're very low slung. They are very it's low. like you're pissing on your toes, and then you're getting splashed back on the front of your shins. It's bad. It's, we've talked about this on the podcast, like problems with, uh, or actually analysis of, of what creates the most splashback. And uh, yeah, the, the, the most distance, if you're, if you're peeing a longer distance, uh, the, the stream has more time to... What's the word for it? The, the sort of aerosol itself. Like it's spread. Right. Like the cl- closer you are, the less splash there is because it stays in a solid stream. The more time it spends in the air, the more it falls apart. So right. the, yeah. yeah, I think it's in the interest of like being accessible to people of all heights. I see. But then at the cost of uh, urine everywhere. It's. I mean, yeah. it is very odd though. They are seriously low slung. Yeah, I keep yeah. thinking when I'm going into a bathroom, it's a kid's urinal. But yeah, then yeah, there's yeah. no alternative. Right. There's no adults one. It's not just one of yeah. Usually, if there's four, like one of them will be shorter for kids or shorter people. But uh, if all of them are, it's, it's just across the board here. You, you're yeah. doing it wrong, California. Yeah. I'll tell you that for free. <laughs> and I'm a man who knows. Are you, are you guys fans of the new waterless ones that are basically like just holes? I mean, I don't know why they act like, like high technology. They don't have water coming in. They're just a hole at the bottom. Conceptually, I will tell you why they act like they're high technology because I looked this up once. Okay, okay. Because I was like, oh, does that just mean they don't have anything in there? Not true. Apparently, there is some chemical in the plug area that acts as some kind of deodorizer slash decontaminant okay. slash... Because apparently, if you don't have water flowing through the thing and it doesn't have that stuff, then it does become kind of stale and yeah, rank. That's what I would think. But I think they're being mandated uh, by law because of the drought. Any new urinals now have to be those uh, waterless ones. Really? No, no. That's cool. I think that's a pro move. If you can yeah. get away with having a, a toilet system without running water, then that's great. It took me a while to work out why in America sometimes you go to them and, and this will be the... I think we, we should move on from toilet oh, yes, technology in a second. However, like, this is me being stupid. I didn't realize. Sometimes you go there and they, there's, someone's just poured ice yeah. In, yeah. into them. And I thought, oh, that's... Something. F- something fun to piss on. And then I was like, oh, as the ice melts, then that kind of washes it through a bit. It is also thought, fun to piss on. Yeah, I think it's also like when they put those little sticker like images of a fly. It's like just to give someone a target so yeah. that they'll aim for something besides the floor, I think. Because <laughs> that's what we do. If there's no ice or a By flat... Do, yeah. Women listening, you may not know this. If there's no fly or ice in a toilet, we will just piss on the walls. When we'll you walk into a restroom, particularly in California, they have a, a gumboot waiting area where you'll put on your galoshes and mm-hmm. walk in. And it's usually about ankle deep in urine. I mean, it is disgusting. <laughs> Which is why these people who are doing the flies and the ice stuff are making such good money. That's because great. a lot of these public restrooms, they're buying up the product, they're trying to God, get it. You get in at ground level on the whole fly <laughs> game. Yeah. <laughs> you're, oh, you're, you're making bang. You're laughing. <laughs> Let's move on from toilets. Let's move on from toilets. Indeed. Matt, do you have a story that you uh, want to get to? Uh, we could do the HIV pill. That sounds like a positive. That's uh, huh. Morgan Perrine. That <laughs> wasn't even trying. Oh, sounds like a pun to me. Yeah. That uh, is undeniable. Your, your pun, your your pun meter is uh, all askew <laughs> yeah, yeah, from Sex in the City. Recal- <laughs> recalibrate a little bit here. Uh, in a new study, a hundred percent of participants taking HIV prevention pill Truvada remained infection-free. Um, 
Oh, God, I, I wish. You wish thanks, you'd taken Mor- it last week? <laughs> yeah. Morgan, thanks, Morgan, for sending this story. I wish, I wish we'd actually then looked up a version of the story that isn't Washington Post with a slightly flat... My pet hate with these stories, they all, like, the opening paragraph that's over... Mm. As far as emotions go, AIDS researchers tend to be a staid bunch who look skeptically at each new finding. Some writer trying to pay it out to make mm. their money. But the, the results space, of yeah. a study released this week on an HIV prevention drug have many cheering. The study at least can- that wasn't like a play on words. Usually that first paragraph has some attempt yeah. at a joke. <laughs> yeah, like most HIV treatments don't come out positive, but... Yeah. Just like that. I'm very tired. It <laughs> would be more clever than that. And then at the end of the first paragraph, they embed their sort of profile writer shot there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who normally, is responsible for this? Normally, the only play? positive AIDS story is about kitchen aids or lemonades. <laughs> there you go. Matt but there's Kirshen. a new positive AIDS story on the block. <laughs> Matt Kirshen, LA C- Times. Courtesy of Truvada. A study at Kaiser Permanente in San Francisco involved more than 600 high risk individuals, most of whom were men who have sex with men. These individuals were healthy at the time of enrollment and were put on a daily regimen of a blue pill called Truvada as a pre-exposure prophylaxis. Uh, Lead author Jonathan Volk, a physician and epidemiologist, described the study as the first to extend the understanding of the use of PrEP, that's uh, pre-exposure prophylaxis, prophylaxis. so it's P, capital P, lowercase r, capital EP, that's how it's written. I just want you to have the right picture in your head. Thank you. (laughs) in a real-world setting and suggests that the treatment may prevent new HIV infections even in a high-risk setting. The- so the... the I, this will probably be revealed. Should I save my questions? Oh, no, no. We always welcome detours. And- um, it was, so the people, these people who are at high risk of contracting HIV, they, presumably they aren't told to you know, go and get a little bit more risky once they're on the... That's, like- that's the interesting thing. Right, yeah, 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 they yeah. are definitely... I'm sure they are encouraged by the responsible doctors who are leading the study to take the same precautions that as they you otherwise would yeah mm-hmm. yeah the uh, washington post general an outlet like that generally won't have these kind of details but does it say how many participants there were or what the sample size is 600 oh, no, 600 high risk. oh that well 100% of 600 that's, that's statistically pretty, pretty significant yeah. yeah um it's uh, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention says that the pre-exposure prophylaxis has been shown to reduce the risk of HIV infection by up to 92% wow. when taken consistently, consistently, much less effective when taken inconsistently. Uh, in one key study called PROUD that included men who have sex with men in Britain, the risk was reduced by 86%. But in this study, 100% of the participants remained HIV-free, uh, which... Um, the study period included two and a half years of observation. I wonder the, what the number would have been out of six hundred. You know what they're comparing it to. So, like a control group, you mean? Yeah, of, yeah. I mean, I don't. I'm not saying that this isn't great news, and I'm sure it would have been a non-zero number. But I wonder, out of six hundred people in that high-risk group in two and a half years, like what the usual infection rate would have been? You know? uh, yeah, I'm sure. Uh, even with um, even with taking exposure, because I know the two groups of people that they're pushing this too hardest are. Uh, um, or the few groups are like men who have sex with men, sex workers, and probably drug users as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. drug um, and yeah, I'm sure. I, I'm guessing they combined it with the norm, the standard advice as well, saying use yeah, condoms yeah. wherever possible and take all don't the kind share of needles, etc., etc. Et Here's a story I didn't hear about though from 2012. Um, after the FDA first approved this drug for HIV pre- pre- prevention. Um, Los Angeles-based AIDS Healthcare Foundation, which has all those billboards all over town, AHF, 
uh, they derided it as a, quote, party drug and warned that high-risk individuals would use it instead of condoms, which is strange that that group would instantly... I could be wrong about this. I'm going to look this up, but I think there's certainly one AIDS foundation, I don't know if it's these ones, that are basically assholes and dangerous assholes, and they're the ones think... who... No, AHF, they have all the ones that seem to be doing positive, at least they're like pro-safe sex, or all the billboards around town yeah, are about Let me check. That. They might be the ones who are... But they, um, I actually just took a picture of one of their billboards yesterday, though, because I was like, come on, guys, because they mostly uh, market themselves towards the gay community here. And they had a billboard that was um, reminding everyone to get checked. And they had like outlines of four people. Oh, I think I've seen this. Billboard. Yeah. And they have they're just in silhouette and they say like Tinder, chlamydia, grinder, gonorrhea. And there are two guys on the right. Very handsome. They Cut a strong Beautiful profile. Beautiful profile. And then the, the straight couple on the left, a little frumpy. A little frumpy, right? I mean, I, that, that dude's d- got a double chin and a weird... That did not even... I didn't even... That slipped my notice entirely, the silhouettes. I thought... That is hilarious that you've seen that much detail instantly on a billboard a and silhouette. And I was like, they make the two gay dudes hot, and then the... Okay, I guess we got to include straight people, too. We'll put in, like... We'll put the uggos in, yeah. those dirty breeders. God, they're, they're a horrible bunch, aren't they? Um, those people who are using Tinder, the dating app, to meet up and have sex, they're probably exchanging diseases. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you what, though. Like, you can kind of, I mean, on one hand, sort of understand where they're coming from, where a drug that has a lot of promise can change people's behavior who are sort of, I don't know if low information is the right word, but they kind of, like, take it as a free hall pass. Right, right. And uh, wanting to mitigate that a little bit. But you can't come out and just come out the against anti- a really promising yeah, yeah, yeah. science. Well, it feels very much like the same arguments that we used that get used, particularly in the Bible Belt, to not give kids HPV, proper... Exactly. Yeah, or yeah. like HPV injections or also proper um, safe sex information yeah. where they're like, no, if you tell the kids to have safe sex, let's encourage them to have sex. And it's, no, they're going to have sex anyway. This is making it less damaging when yeah. they do. And by the way, I was right. Fuck the AIDS Healthcare Foundation. Oh no, they, I take it all. I didn't know. Okay, they are the ones. They're the same ones who are currently in the process of basically suing all porn producers, but in a really creepy way. They're the ones who are behind the, the condom law, the Measure B thing. Oh. Uh, but Can you tell me real briefly on what? So basically, uh, are? Uh, they are um, they're behind laws that force all porn producers to have to use condoms in all films, but including and this is getting to the point. There was a recent hearing where uh, the president of the uh, the AHF, Michael Weinstein, um, confirmed that a provision in the new ballot initiative, which he's supporting, will allow private citizens to sue porn performers for not wearing a condom, which would include, for example, not just mainstream companies, but say if a husband and wife who are entirely monogamous with each other a... and produced porn mm-hmm. made a really? film and released it, you could sue them, which would then give you access to their personal details, including their name, uh, oh, and Jesus. contact details. So, for example, stalkers and many creepy people yeah. who are uh, who want to get the details of porn performers would have access to that by creepy legal means. And so, he's basically he's basically said, um, uh, yeah, someone um, Ella Darling, who's a porn performer who works for one of the uh, the Adult Performer Advocacy Commission uh, committee, she called into this uh, whatever this hearing. And said, uh, how would you address adult performers who are afraid of the provision that allows private citizens to sue us for the work that we do? This would basically allow stalkers and harassers to sue us. 
And he said, the right to sue is not to sue the performers, it's to sue the producers. And she said, but performers create their own content a lot of the time, referring to performers who sat cam, sells clips to fans or own a personal website. And he said, if they're not following the laws, they're subject to the same laws as anyone else. And then responded to any other things with, I believe I've answered your question. Wow, go fuck yourself. Fuck him. Yeah. He sounds like a real bag of feces. I wonder what the, I mean, is it a case of like good intentions though and just bad implementation? If if the intention is to make people safer with condoms, you know what I mean? Like When you put I the blinders on feels... that strongly yeah, and just yeah. ignore a very valid issue that someone in the industry has raised with you and right. you just yeah. stick to your position without wavering, you're a piece of shit. It yeah. means you can't accept new information to change your mind and you're, you're just a bag of turds. For, yeah, exactly. And you're basically following your own, you're imposing your morality right. on others and you're following your own position without regard to anyone else's. It's yeah. kind of the but definition of being anti-science, you know? It's like yeah. not being open to new information changing your way of thinking, right. which I, is very frustrating. Totally. And Matt, do you know other things that AHF has done badly? Because I really didn't know that they were anything besides a... Uh, like, are they gouging on prices like that hedge fund guy everyone loves to tweet about recently? Uh, no, because I don't think they actually are responsible for... I think they're an advocacy group rather than... I thought because uh, some of the ads I've seen are like pharmacists, some of those billboards. I thought they were like the place you would go to get your AIDS treatment drugs or something. Is that not... Oh, actually, no, they are a medical provider. There we go. Ah. Um... So they, yeah, they do advocate, they do advocacy for reducing drug prices. Again, like, they're not 100% bad, but they're also pieces of shit. Yeah, okay. well, certainly on the, you know, uh, the, what's on the tin, being an advocacy group for, for who is it? For HIV at risk individuals or for the gay community or who are they? I think it's, yeah, I think it's both of those. Like, yeah. that's a good thing. Yeah, <laughs> that is a good I, reason to form an like organization. Good, yeah. Yeah. Totally. Although in, 2000, in 2015, or this year, a whistleblower lawsuit was filed by three former AHF managers. The employees alleged that the AHF engaged and even documented kickback processes for positive HIV test results for social workers. Whoa. Um, it's odd. Wait, wait, wait. Kickback pro- so you would get a kickback if what? Uh, scamming Medicare. I'm going to, okay, so I'm going to guess based on nothing, uh-huh. but I'm going to guess that there'll be some sort of funding model where if they say we have treated X many people who are HIV positive, we get more funding, right, so they're right, probably right. falsified records. Uh, yeah, and it also seems like like a lot of this advocacy that they're doing for the condom law and everything with, is then to set up registries and yeah. and uh, supervising organizations that these Create. people will then yeah, themselves helm, yeah. which means they get paid more money, which means fuck them. Yeah. You know what? This is interesting. I just thought of an analogy with the uh, DIY porn and, and cams. Like that, those people doing that are to mainstream porn. It's kind of the Airbnb model uh, or versus hotels or Lyft versus taxis, isn't it? Like every industry is now having a version of that where it's like, yeah, well, what, we, we can just do this ourselves yeah. and not have any of the middlemen. And then the government's like, trying well, to figure out... Well, I was going to be driving around town anyway, so I might as well give some people a ride right, and get some money. I was going to be masturbating. <laughs> I was going to be might masturbating well into a camera right a, now. In a dime off it. Yeah, yeah. And now the government's trying to figure out, do they regulate all these things as they did the main industries? Or are they different now that it's just like, yeah, I'm just, just my bedroom, whatever, you can crash there. By I the way, the... for a great deal on uh, masturbating, or me masturbating actually, guymontbodilyfunctions.com, <laughs> $5 gets you an hour loop of me just going hammer and tongs by myself <laughs> that is stomach churning <laughs> even in just the concept phase it is disgusting to think about 
We are well past the concept phase. <laughs> Getting back to the science route of what you were talking about, though. Trivago, is that the name of the drug? Trivada, yeah. That is, that is super cool. It's very promising, and yeah. they're looking into using it in other situations. South Africa, for example, which has a very high HIV rate, uh, and they're looking at using it uh, for heterosexual adolescent men and women ages 15 to 19. Just going to make sure that that bag of shit who's um, buying up pharmaceutical patents and hiking the price overnight yeah. doesn't get his dirty, grubby hands on it. Did you see he got doxxed in the last couple of days? Uh, no, but that's not surprising. Well, yeah. apparently, though, um, he like left his own personal details on a forum somewhere anyway. So oh, it wasn't okay. like a high-level doxing, but yeah, someone yeah. found it and kind of pushed it out to the mainstream. I haven't clicked on any stories yet. Everyone's been tweeting and <laughs> posting them. I've just seen headlines, and that's all I know so far. But... like, There's not much to know about the story except... Essentially, when you have a system in America where repeatedly Congress has blocked the ability for the government to uh, negotiate prices with on drugs, mm-hmm. and there's no legislative capping on prices, and they just claim the market will work it out. Yeah. But when there's a single, when there's a situation like this, which um, of which there are many, where there is just one drug that is generally used for a very specific and not particularly common, but widespread enough in important condition yeah then they have a built-in monopoly yeah with years before another company can come onto the market because they have a it you know whenever there's a monopoly you have the the full free marketers will go well another company can come in and undercut them so but they can't it takes market yeah it takes time to market but also with the way that pharmaceutical patents work, they've usually, I think, in the States got them for 20 years. As Until a it goes anyway. generic. Yeah. We've got um, a really excellent single-payer um, pharmaceutical buyer in New Zealand that sits under the government called Pharmac. And there's been a lot of news at the moment because under the TPPA, it looks like it would basically be decimated and our ability to um, negotiate as like a single-payer under the way that we have done it for the last 15 years or so would go away. And it's like save New Zealand, what New Zealand is, consumers of the pharmaceuticals, a staggering amount of money. I can't remember off the top of my head, but it's like billions in the last five years. And it's it's just this awesome model. And like in America, everyone seems terrified of anything single payer. Yeah, yeah. You know, anything sniffing around that whatsoever. What is in Britain, the government's in the middle of dismantling it by stealth through various mini sell-offs and then there's the TTIP uh, agreement. That's... Two two different acronyms you guys have mentioned that I <laughs> yeah, don't The TPPA is the Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement, which okay. is this huge trade deal involving like 13 countries. Okay, so that's, that's exactly the same thing as in Britain where it's the TTIP is the same thing and it's a trade agreement that is currently being basically pushed through in secrecy <laughs> and the deal with these trade agreements is there are provisions in there that say governments cannot pass laws with the intention of lowering or removing a company's profits well it might yeah they might i I don't know i can only speak to the tppa but the the process that sounds really familiar from that is that um within that there is recourse for companies yes when countries do pass laws that would perceivably lower the profits of the corporation and it's this thing called isds which is like investor state disputes resolution or something like that. And it allows the big corporations to sue a country in this kind of a kangaroo court, it seems like. Yeah, and it's, it's a pretty secret court. Yeah, and it, but it's also kind of run in a corporate fashion, like it's a sort of mm. um, transnational court. So the big lawyers obviously 
would tend to gravitate towards yeah. the big high-paying companies. Yeah. But Australia's actually going through a case right now over plain packaging cigarettes. Uh, there's another one as well, Philip Morris versus Uruguay as well, where uh, same deal. They Philip Morris filed a complaint <coughs> against Uruguay arguing that their anti-smoking legislation devalues its cigarette trademarks and investments in the country yeah, and is suing Uruguay for compensation and, under the bilateral oh. investment treaty between Switzerland and Uruguay. I've heard some analysis God. on this, and Philip Morris don't even intend to win these cases, but it's just the chilling effect that it puts across, yeah. for example, the smaller Pacific nations where they're still smoking a lot, and I guess the Southeast Asian countries, which... Consume yeah. so many cigarettes. Yeah, they've realized now so that they've given up on here. They're just shooting for those countries. Yeah, and they're just, yeah, just and making like, well, sure that they don't make any people moves. in. It's insane. It's so insane. God. Ah, everything's fucked. The uh, tobacco thing's not as black and white as everyone paints it, though. I think because, like, I just tobacco companies get taxed so much goddamn money in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. So much money. And if you, because everyone goes, well, if we, if the government hates smoking so much, make it illegal. And they actually couldn't, like they couldn't remove that much money from the economy at once because mm-hmm. it's, but they bring in billions of dollars of tax revenue and it's horrible what they do. And yeah. they have been historically horrible as an industry, like suppressing reports and stuff of, you know, that they knew about the cancer thing for ages before it came out. Yeah. Which, which by the way, a um, little mini recap, but that's what... So we had a question in the middle of our live, in the middle of last week's episode, that was about some laws, the RICO laws, which are for basically organized crime being used. Uh, someone asked... Oh, yeah, we had, a, we had a climate change denier in our audience last well, week. It was the most bizarre... Well, I don't know. Here's the thing. I, I've now, through a couple of people, have sent in what the story actually was. Okay. Well, I realize you guys were big enough to get Donald Trump to come and see yeah. you guys in person. It's, <laughs> it's great. It was a pretty good deal. It's awesome. I mean, she didn't specifically say she doesn't believe in, in you know anthropogenic whatever people people caused uh, climate change she asked what do you guys think about the fact that scientists who are coming out saying that it's not a, a thing um, are being sued is what she said and it's a thing I hadn't heard of so then uh, Sean Carroll who was one of our guests had to answer saying yeah I don't know the specifics of what you're talking about I haven't heard of it yeah it sounds it sounds suspect but and here's here's what the letter actually was and it was a letter to an open letter to Obama and uh, the Attorney General and uh, the OSTP director um, that basically says, oh, I could just read out the whole letter. Um, As you know, an overwhelming majority of climate scientists are concerned about the potentially serious adverse effects of human induced climate change on human health, agriculture and biodiversity. We applaud your efforts to regulate emissions and the other steps you are taking. Nonetheless, as climate scientists, we are exceedingly concerned that America's response to climate change, indeed the world's response to climate change, is insufficient. The risks posed by climate change, including extreme weather events, rising sea levels and increasing ocean acidity, and potential strategies for addressing them, are detailed in the third national climate assessment, uh, climate change, blah, blah. Uh, the stability of the Earth's climate over the past 10,000 years contributed to the growth of agriculture and therefore a thriving human civilization. We are now at risk of serious sta- uh, de- seriously destabilizing the Earth's climate and irreparably harming people around the world, especially the world's poorest people. Uh, so that's just setting up climate change. Be serious. Um, we appreciate that you're making aggressive and imaginative use of the limited tools available to you in the re- face of a recalcitrant Congress. One additional tool recently proposed by Senator Sheldon Whitehouse is a RICO, brackets, Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act, investigation of corporations and other organizations that have knowingly deceived the American people about the risks of climate change as a means to forestall America's response to climate change. 
The actions of these organizations have been extensively documented in, in peer-reviewed academic research and in recent books, including and it lists a whole lot of books and films that have covered it, including Merchants of Doubt, which we talked about before. We strongly endorse Senator Whitehouse's call for a RICO investigation. The methods of these organizations are quite similar to those used earlier by the tobacco industry. A RICO investigation from 1999 to 2006 played an important role in stopping the tobacco industry from continuing to deceive the American people about the dangers of smoking. If corporations in the fossil fuel industry and their supporters are guilty of the misdeeds that have been documented in books and journal articles, it's imperative that these misdeeds be stopped as soon as possible so that America and the world can get on with the critically important business of finding effective ways to restabilize the Earth's climate before even more lasting damage is done, sincerely, and a whole list of scientists. So I guess the point is, this isn't asking that scientists be sued for voicing a dissenting view. This is saying, hey, there's actually corrupt corporations colluding, colluding yeah. in a fraudulent manner to hide from the public findings that will enable them to enact huge public health tolls on the world right. in the same way that the tobacco companies purposely hid findings about the links to cancer and heart disease and yeah. other things yeah no one would and silence no one would silence a single study no one's silencing a scientist no, they're yeah. talking about silencing ExxonMobil yeah. or a singular a singular misguided scientist is just plugging away and super confident it's not going to happen there's not going to yeah. get piled yeah. legal yeah 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 but then obviously it, well, by the time it's gone through the blogosphere and being yeah. braybarted and yeah. right. the blazed and so on that comes back as climate science dissenting climate scientists silenced by lawsuit risk or whatever so that's what that's what was going on there if you listen to that last week and if if you watch the video feed i watched it just to see what my face looked like during that moment because there was a wide shot you could see all four of us who were on stage at the time and i was like is my face looking super condescending right now?" like (laughs) i was just so aware because she was in a room full of people who don't agree with her and it's like a person just standing up and being like well you know but there are still is the world could be flat have you walked to the end of it like yeah, and then everyone. But then, but then you sort of go like, like "Do oh, you be polite?" Or have I you kind of get where she's coming from, though, with that question now. Like that, because when she first asked the question, I thought it was full on, like you know, right. would, there's no like the the flag wouldn't on the moon wouldn't blow. There's no wind. And I mean, you go, all right, okay. But I can see where she's coming from. She, it was just a couple of. Well, still, the from. fact that she had that take on it meant she read an article about it from some no, Fox News-ish source. It, yeah, when I went, she read a headline in a tab and then lost interest and closed it down and then carried yeah. the opinion into a room and thought it would be worthy to venture out into having an opinion. But then it made, it made me wonder, why did she come to this show? Is she a listener? How did she end up in this room right now? Because if she knows us, she would know... If she listens to the show... She wouldn't enjoy the show if that's the kind of thing that she believes. So she hasn't listened. Maybe before, she I'm just sure. sits in her sits in her lounge, going, "Ah, these idiots!" <laughs> yeah. I don't know. The, science is all about taking the established parameters of what we know and going, "But what if?" Yeah. No. And then doing a bunch of experiments to try and prove that that is not the case, or some augmented version of it is actually the real case. So. God bless her. She's wrong. There's no doubt about that. I love uh, sarcastic God blessing of people. Like, I love <laughs> Bless you, cotton socks, love. But, um, you know, we shouldn't uh, always... It's tricky because you should dismiss those people when they have no evidence and no basis for an opinion that they're putting forward. But you should never immediately dismiss people who have questions, even yeah. when they're questions about things which seemingly we've settled. 
You should entertain the question and then quickly say why by that the, person right. is wrong. Otherwise, it seems like you're you're reinforcing that ivory tower kind of but, thing about. But then you also can't like weird shit does happen sometimes that yeah. we don't expect. Here's like, one. I was we weren't going to do this story this week, but this was sent in by uh, listener Lexi McGeary and reported on New Scientist. A thousand-year-old Anglo-Saxon recipe to vanquish a sty, uh, an infected eyelash follicle. Yeah has been found to maybe have some use and might open up the field to a new class of um, anti... Uh, is it antibiotics? I'll or is you it anything that was my ancestor, bitches! Because <laughs> <laughs> it was like a... Not homeopathic, a, but a, like a natural remedy. And one of those things that was dismissed as an old wives' tale, and then some scientists went in and analysed it, and it turns out yes. there's some weird chemical process that's out, happening. Not, not homeopathic, because homeopathy is yes, full bullshit. No, yeah. But um, it was kind of like naturopathy, though. It was. Yeah. It was. But, uh, but then, of course, you know, there are quite a few modern drugs that were uh, derived from natural herbs and remedies. It's just then the scientist works out what the active ingredients How to are. And then they, the... Like um, aspirin being one of the most famous ones, which. Yeah. Comes from willow trees. Yeah, willow bark. Yeah, Uh, and then they worked out this. The is it salicylic acid? Is that how you pronounce it? I think that's it. Yeah. Anyway, they worked out that's what's going on. That's the key thing. And then they're like, well, now we we know how to make this in a factory. We don't need to have people chew wood. We've almost done that in New Zealand too. About half of us are still chewing wood. (laughs) (laughs) True. Can't get enough of this stuff. It's really bad for the trees because we just we're all yeah just gnawing gnawing away. When some of the wood pharmaceuticals have started putting nicotine in the wood as well. So, I mean, there's a whole oh. new <laughs> batch of legal problems there that we probably don't have time to get into. Uh, so, the medieval medics might have been onto something. A modern-day recreation of this remedy seems to alleviate infections caused by the bacteria that are responsible for styes. The work might ultimately help create drugs for hard-to-treat skin infections. Now, the remedy is to take crop leek and garlic. I don't know what crop leek is. Uh, of is it both... L-E-E-K, I'm guessing, though? It's like a yes. leak? So... It's when you take a leak on a crop. Right. <laughs> yes, exactly what it is. Uh, of both equal quality- quantities, pound them well together, take wine and bollocks gall, mix... <laughs> Definitely made up. <laughs> bollocks gall, bollocks gall. Bollocks. Bullock. Wait, take bullock. Wine? As in... Jim J, not testicles? Yeah, exactly. As in, as in a, the animal, not the nutsack. I didn't know that that was an animal. Bullock How do you spell... Gall. What's a bullock? A uh, bull. A bullock is a is a male bovine animal. Okay. Oh, a castrated yeah. male bovine animal. Who knew? Or in so a bullock so without bullocks. The gallbladder. <laughs> bull. You take the gallbladder of a castrated bull. Oh, hang on. It doesn't have to be castrated here. It could just be young. In a. a, a whether so it's, it's like British, a eunuch. <laughs> a, basically, a, a eunuch young bull. Cow. A young to, bull. Listen for a, a, a choir of singing eunuch bulls. Yeah. And go in there and just. <laughs> Cut out all of their gallbladders. Really hit the altos. Yeah. They have to mix it with a leak, and then you let it stand for nine days in a brass vessel. It's probably, probably the sty might take care of itself over the nine days. <laughs> well, I think you then put it on the sty rather than just sort of have it need, just know that <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a threat. You just put the cupboard and the sty. You hope the sty is sentient and sees it and goes, <laughs> I don't want anything to do with that. I'm getting out of town. Uh, <laughs> So the work might ultimately help uh, create these drugs. The project was born when Freya Harrison, a microbiologist at the University of Nottingham, got talking to Christina Lee, an Anglo-Saxon scholar. They decided to test a recipe from an old English medical compendium called Bald's Leech Book, which is housed in the British Library. Some of the ingredients, such as copper from the brass vessel, kill bacteria grown in a dish, but it was unknown if they would work on a real infection or how they would combine. 
Sourcing authentic ingredients was a major challenge, says Harrison. <laughs> They'd had to hope for the best with the leeks and garlic because modern crop varieties are likely to be quite different from ancient ones, even those branded as heritage. For the wine, they used an organic vintage from a historic English vineyard. As brass vessels would be hard to sterilize and expensive, they used glass bottles with squares of brass sheet immersed in the mixture. Bullock's gall was easy, though, as cow's bile salts are sold as a supplement for people who've had their gallbladders removed. Wow. Who knew? After nine days of stewing, the potion had killed all the soil bacteria introduced by the leek and garlic. It was self-sterilizing, says Harrison. Wow. That was the first inkling that this crazy idea just might have some use. The su- a side effect was that it made the lab smell of garlic. <laughs> it was not unpleasant, says Harrison. <laughs> It's all edible stuff. Everyone thought you were making lunch. <laughs> what a delightfully British way to do science. I got talking to a, an old Anglo-Saxon yeah. scholar and we decided to visit an old library. And we both had library. a bit of time on our hands, so we thought, why not dig we, up this old book? We being went to a, an ancient vineyard, which is still growing organic grapes and making the recipe as it did several hundred years ago. Of course, we already had the bile. And yeah. That turned out not to be a problem. Being both hungry and curious, we set about... That's amazing. It's a delightful tale. Yeah. Uh, the potion was tested on scraps of skin taken from mice infected with methicillin-resistant Staphylococcus aureus. This is, is an antibiotic-resistant version of the bacteria that causes styes, more commonly known as the hospital superbug MRSA. The potion killed 90% of the bacteria. So is a sty that drug-resistant strain of staph, but uh, in your eye? Well, it's not necessarily drug-resistant, but there are versions of it that are drug-resistant. Right. Uh, I, yeah, I didn't realize that a staph in your eye is what a sty is. It's crazy. Uh, van, vancomycin, which is the antibiotic usually no, used for MRSA, killed about the same proportion when it was added to the skin scraps. Unexpectedly, the ingredients had little effect unless they were all brought together. Wow. See, how this is my question with this stuff all the time, because um, ayahuasca is very similar, how they managed to get DMT... Uh, dimethyltryptamine in the like Aztec jungles thousands of years ago by combining these two random as hell plants out of like the thousands of species that were out there they combine it in this particular way you give it to a human and you you trip absolute balls how much (laughs) fucking around do you have to do how many deaths came from mixing different other things how many generations like how much nothing do you have to go through or deaths or poisons or whatever to get to something useful every settlement probably delegates one member as like the drug taker and and they, uh, they just run all of their experiments through them and then eventually ayahuasca was introduced and it completely like put them back on the straight and narrow and they were like well that's the one we got it we'll sell that to the western world i am pretty sure that that person is self-designating yeah usually (laughs) i think it's just after the fact after you've gone on that trip then you just become a shaman like that's your new job in the culture is like i just saw this crazy shit but guess what But i don't think you ever need to go like tony you're gonna be the one who takes all the drugs he's like i've got it (laughs) (laughs) i am one step ahead of you this is the role i was born to play (laughs) and great news i've been preparing for the last 10 years um so yeah they and by the way, I'm not going to take instructions from a giant talking cat with ten tails, so why don't you just back off? <laughs> the big challenge is trying to find out why this combination works, says Steve Diggle, another of the researchers. 
Did the components work in synergy, or did they trigger the formation of new potent compounds? Oh, that's the best. So that even they don't even know what's they happening. Don't yet. even know yet. That's so great. Using exactly the right method also seems to be crucial says Harrison, as another group tried to recreate the remedy in 2005 and found their potion failed to kill bacteria grown in a dis- dish. Well, With you also n- have to be pure of heart. I forgot to mention that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> With the nine-day waiting period, the preparation turned into a kind of loathsome, odorous slime, says Michael Drought of Wheaton College in north northern Massachusetts. If the ninth century recipe does lead to new drugs, they might be useful about MRSA skin infections. Uh, against uh, these infections such as those that cause foot ulcers in people with diabetes. They are usually antibiotic resistant, says Diggle. However, he doesn't recommend people try this at home. Uh, <laughs> yep, fair enough. It, wasn't, it wouldn't be the first drug, first modern drug to be derived from ancient manuscripts. The widely used anti-malarial drug, uh, artemisinin, uh, was discovered by scouring historical Chinese medical texts. That wow. is fantastic. Mm. And they really do need to find a remedy for those um, drug-resistant strains yeah, of viruses yeah, yeah. and stuff. Because I, my girlfriend's a doctor, and um, I used to get her on my radio show uh, and just source questions from the audience and um, ask her questions myself. And one afternoon I asked her, like, what is your biggest fear about... Um, just like medicine in general and the population and stuff like what's our biggest risk as a, yeah. as a global population and she goes it's a drug resistant strain of something just whipping through the whole population and because yeah. of air travel and everything well and, and yeah over prescription of antibiotics yeah and, and she uh, not just over prescription in humans but the worst uh, culprit of this is agriculture yeah mm-hmm. like firstly we do hugely over prescribing to antibiotics particularly in america and the west in general where people who have colds and other viral infections just get given antibiotics because it she, makes them feel better she says this all the time she's like and there's particularly different like sectors um of society people from different uh cultures and nations and stuff who come in with these different ideas that if you go to a doctor you leave with drugs yeah so like there's all these doctors she's surrounded with that will give them antibiotics for antibiotics aren't going to do anything for a cold yeah, you ju- it's just it's a, it has to run its course. You're buying peace of mind, though. Yeah, so what. so she like has a hard time going like, no, you, you know, you don't need antibiotics. This won't help. What you need to do is kind of rest, hydrate, rest and fluids. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. like that's it. Um, but then agriculture, where people pump uh, cattle and chickens and other and other animals just full of antibiotics because it stops them from getting any infections and boost their growth rate and, and the horrible conditions that they kept it like there exactly. is a solution to that but it's very expensive which is let them run around give them proper food yes. and proper and keep them well clean, and keep them clean. Exactly. it becomes expensive right? yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah and so what that, so they just end up being just the world's like a massive incubator for antibiotic resistant bacteria but jumbo jacks are only a dollar 19 you guys right. i mean Does well tur- <laughs> we all we all take our trade offs don't we <laughs> uh should we move from um, medicine to space for one last story? Yeah, I'd like a space story. We've been very sure. biology heavy today. Uh, we had um, a gold friend of mine, Deepak Srinivasan, on an earlier episode who worked on the New Horizons uh, uh, probe that just flew by Pluto Wow! a few months ago and sent back some amazing images. And, um, oh, they just, since they're still, that probe is still sending data from all the things it saw when it shot by Pluto, and it's such a slow transfer speed between there and they and keep Earth. getting new pictures and right, the pictures right. are amazing yeah, oh, the newest wow. pictures show detail on on these mountains on the surface of pluto it was fucking awesome uh yeah, and but we'll link to those pictures on over on probably science.com um, one of the things we asked uh, deepak during the conversation was 
what's next for New Horizon. At the time, he was saying, well, we don't know yet, but we're... There's currently debate as to what the next target is going to be, yeah. what it's going to go to now. It's past Pluto. Do you know when it was launched? Uh, ten years ago. It took ten oh, years. Okay, to get so it's there. not yeah. one of those like ancient ones that was launched in the seventies that they're trying to figure out a way to reprogram this old no, BIOS no. to do new no. stuff. Like but those still... ones took a long time because they hadn't figured out the technology on this one that let it go way faster, including right, like right. you talked about how they slingshotted around some planets to get like gravity assists to go faster. So. 10 years instead of uh, that is, decades. I have a small brain for this kind of stuff, yeah. and everything you guys are saying is just absolutely phenomenal to me. I it don't was, know how anything winds up in space. That Apollo 13 mission, like, just that has got to be one of the single most amazing bits of human achievement. Absolutely. And math. 13, not 11, you're saying the one where they figured out how not to die with yeah. just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 13. No, you're early. Oh, we landed on the moon. Big one. Right, right. But the, in terms of the human drama story of something has hit the fan well and truly. Yeah, like, and right. For, everyone, get to, everyone get to hear now. All yeah. of the different astronauts were all like, they all piled in, all of the scientists, and they're just like, we need to work this shit out. And like, locking lock the scientists in the room with the same equipment they have. Yeah. On the yeah. thing, so they can like problem solve. There's That's actually, so cool. if anyone gets the opportunity to see it, there was a stage show that started in New Zealand um, called Mission Control, which mm-hmm. now tours around. I think they go to like the space station, so they go to Florida, to Cape Canaveral, and they go to Houston and stuff, and they um, do it with school groups. But it's the, a bunch of Kiwis who did it, and it's cool. this phenomenal show where all the audience members are set behind consoles. And you've got different roles to play. You've got switches that you flick and stuff. And they grab people out of the audience to help put together like the tubing and stuff to figure out how to re-oxygenate the air. Oh, sweet. Because all the drama plays out on stage and you've got to help the astronauts get back home. It's really cool. That's a cool idea. Yeah. yeah. I love it. Um, well, anyway, they, they did pick out a new destination for New Horizons. On New Year's Day 2019, it's going to dive bomb an icy world known as 2014 MU-69. And that'll become the second object after Pluto visited by the spacecraft. And Addison Jonesen in that story. So they announced the selection on the 28th of August. Uh, practical considerations dominated the decision. Uh, it beat as out... You, as you would expect. <laughs> yeah. It beat out uh, another object uh, because New Horizons will burn less fuel to get there. Mission controllers will ignite the spacecraft's engines in a series of burns starting in late October to set it on course for... Uh, 2014 MU69. They gotta figure out a. They gotta give it a yeah. zippier name. <laughs> it's like the coolest remote control airplane in the and most expensive yeah. in the world. Yeah. They're just in their like playroom, going, "Well, guys, where should we send it now?" <laughs> so when you say they're dive bombing a planet, are they doing that just to destroy it so it's not space junk? Or no, are they no, doing no. That thing not, they they're just it's being a, dramatic. They're saying it's just gonna oh, go right. by. It's, yeah. yeah, it's not gonna hit the thing. It's gonna oh, the okay. trajectory change will use up about 12 kilograms of the 36 kilograms of fuel still on board. Oh, wow. So it'll zip no more than 12,000 kilometers above the object's surface, which is about the same distance it went past Pluto. Uh, we'd like to go closer, we just don't know if we can, says team me- member John Spencer, a planetary scientist. Um, how high the spacecraft flies above the surface depends on how quickly mission controllers can rotate the cameras and keep the images from smearing out. Wow. Uh, mm. So they discovered this. Uh, they discovered 2014 MU69, uh, ME to its friends, while using the Hubble Space Telescope to scout potential post-Pluto destinations for New Horizons. The object belongs to the cold classical group of uh, Kuiper K- K- Belt objects, or KBOs, the icy worlds that ob- uh, orbit the Sun beyond Neptune. 
cold classical KBOs are thought to be leftovers of a primordial population from the early days of the solar system. Ooh. You guys listen to cold classical KBO? Yeah. I got some smooth jams. <laughs> <laughs> Unlike Pluto, which swings on a widely stretched out orbit, their paths seem relatively unperturbed by giant planets in the outer solar system. For now, not much else is known about uh, this object other than its size, which is about 45 kilometers across. It ain't big. Before and after the encounter, New Horizons will be able to photograph about a dozen other KBOs from afar, Spencer says. That is not enough to see their surfaces in any detail, but it will allow team scientists to discover whether any of those are binary KBOs, which are two objects whirling around a mutual center of gravity, like Pluto and its largest moon, Charon, and to begin a census of the general brightness of KBOs. Uh, That's an interesting way of looking at the binary thing, though, because any two things where there's an orbit relationship they're still both orbiting around their mutual center of gravity. Like, the Earth and the Sun are in a binary system. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah. Just because it's so much bigger, it doesn't move very much around that. Its center of gravity, combined with us as a system, is almost the same as its center of gravity alone. Yes. So you're just saying the more you zoom out, the more you see different binary well, systems. Yeah, or the, or the closer they are in, in mass to each other, the, the, the more it, the, the center of gravity moves between them instead of inside of one of them, but they're still yeah, a techni- binary relationship. Like, technically, whenever one object is orbiting around another... It isn't really. They're technically both orbiting, orbiting around a center of mass. Right. But when the right. sun is so, so much bigger than the Earth, the center of mass is basically, basically the in sun. the middle of the sun. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, Even shift. I understood that. That was very well explained. Ah. Um, Why am I trying to tear down this article? It doesn't matter. So, uh, <laughs> so what are the use of these KBOs? What's the use of they? anything when it comes down to it, man? <laughs> I guess. But it's just uh, nice to know. It just seems like, because yeah. there's a lot of investment at the moment in um, either us trying to inhabit you know, new planets oh. or mining asteroids, but what are these these cool, classical well, I think this little will gems give us in the sky doing? Some more insight into the early days of the solar system and mm-hmm. and planet formation and what's going on outside of, like, in the very, very outer reaches of the solar system. We're going to get really close to one of them and within about 15 million kilometers, which is about one-tenth of the Earth's sun distance from the others. Uh, from some of the others. Uh, so yeah, I think it's just kind of like... So it's going to uh, have much better images than Hubble. Why not just try to get all the data we can, even if it's not... You know, sure. We're not going to go up there and shoot a golf ball off of it probably anytime soon. But yeah. uh, you know, what is, what's it made of? What's it look Do like? Do you think that uh, space exploration is impressive to like the vast majority of everyone? Do you think that, say, like over 80% of people living on Earth would look at this and be like, even with that, like, I don't have a very basic understanding of it but I, I'm still just constantly in awe of the fact that we're going that far away and that like people have done enough, like you know to control something that remotely or yeah. whatever uh, I, I mean, think so I think there's something inherently impressive just about the scale of humans leaving the planet like it doesn't matter who you are what your background is if you get the basic premise that we found a way to leave yeah. the planet that we're on yeah. for any duration of time that's pretty awesome and it's i think it's very easy to grasp the implications of that as well over time um which is why it's such a like rallying point the fact that jfk said we're doing it we're going to the moon and we're going to do it before the 70s we're doing it in this decade or decade as he said um and then they did it they just like spooled up all the resources they chucked a shit ton of money at the issue and they achieved it and it's such a cool it seems like the hardest thing to do. Like, leaving the planet must have seemed impossible. The fact that one of the Wright brothers was still alive when Neil Armstrong was born. Like, we went from the earliest days of powered flight to 
yeah. space travel within that a human lifetime. Yeah, wow. Is, is mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing. And, it, and it's such a good symbol because people can look at that and go, holy smokes, what are we capable of in the next three centuries or whatever like we just don't even know what we could do i agree with that i worry that that's not the general consensus of the public right now i don't think there's as much awe surrounding this as there was probably for 30 40 years ago uh like even i i had i was dating a single mom who had an uh, like a seven-year-old son and i asked him if he wanted to be an astronaut he was like no people die up there like it's in a generation <laughs> wow it's become this really practical thing and you know there's so much people talk that was your answer to that seven, seven year old boy is like yeah i don't want to be an astronaut people die up there like oh my crazy? god <laughs> but i guess you know it's so sad probably that remembers seems to be so sad yeah it is but i guess he would have been 3 when the columbia um burnt up on on re-entry i don't know anyway but i feel like the fact that there's so much talk of defunding space exploration uh, and people are getting so much more cynical i think about the future and and technology I'm, and science i don't buy that at all really okay, I hope not at not all true. i don't know no it, it just and i'm not attacking you i just like I, i'm a very optimistic person and i think the particularly like the obama administration's copped a lot of heat because of their reduction in funding mm-hmm. towards nasa right and the justification that Obama's always said is, look, this is an industry or a, or a science and technology that is now at a point where we can hand it off to the private enterprise. And they're doing it. Like, if you look at SpaceX or um, yeah, what are the other Jeff companies? Bezos and, yeah, uh, yeah, a bunch of people are doing it. A bunch of people are investing their money because they see the opportunity there. And it, and it, and it does feel like it's a time where it can be handed off to the private sector a little bit to, to take it. But if you open up your mind to the possibilities of what that could lead to, like hundreds of years down the road, then you've got these private enterprises who are suddenly out in space mixing and mingling with all the alien life forms going, no, we're in charge down there. There's not that much difference between, I think there's, yeah, this is a whole other debate, but I don't think there is as big a divide as people think in their heads between a government and a corporation. It's still a bunch of people doing a thing that can be taken over by other people if the people at the bottom think it's not being run well. Hey, I'll tell you one thing, and this is just related to the whole space fascination Justin Broughton in this story. The farthest galaxy has been detected uh, so far. A team of Caltech researchers spent years searching for the earliest objects in the universe, and they now report the detection of what may be the most distant galaxy ever found. Uh, an article published on August 28th in Astrophysical Journal Letters. Uh, they describe evidence for a galaxy called EGS8, lowercase p7, God, that's a bad name you again. You've got to get some better names, guys. Get some better names. But more than 13.2 like a... billion years Iron old. Gag, man. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's 13.2 billion years old. Uh, the universe itself is about 13.8 billion years old. Wow. So this is from pretty near the very start of the universe um, by yeah. astronomical standards, anyway. If, if a Sex and the City 2 writer were put to the task of, of naming one of these extraterrestrial bodies, what would we get What would we get back from one of them, you think? Just, You're really putting us on the spot. <laughs> Just, there's no good answer to this. No, like, there, there's, there's no way for any of us to come out. The clitoral region or yes, something. Exactly. It would be very base, very crass. It has to be, yeah, a little bit anatomical, a little bit, ooh, being naughty. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That, is, that is precisely the zone it would sit in. Wouldn't be a good thing for I, science. Speaking of, there's other crossover in Sex and the City and science. Oh, I know we got to wrap up stuff up quickly, but uh, I've always hated that show for this really weird specific dumb reason that in one in one of her wrap up like Doogie Hauser style things at the end of the TV show, when she's reading from her column that week about what her adventures were, and she was like, "Is the is the 
are humans governed more by the left creative side of the brain or the right more analytical side? I'm like, that's the opposite. It's the opposite. It's, <laughs> and apparently no it's right not true. Yeah, it's well. not even right. But I'm but. saying like even like the left, your left hand's controlled by the right. It's crossed from what you think it is. But it's not even that either way. But like just baseline. Basic research. It. Yeah. Come on, guys. Come on, Carrie Bradshaw. You're better than I that. always think when there are those uh, moments of human error within the realm of a television show or a movie that they were planted specifically by the writer to create more texture to the character okay so <laughs> she's you, know, you, you want a con- flawed hero you want yeah a- <laughs> yeah it's just an admission from the writers and uh carrie bradshaw herself that while she might be a phenomenal sex and life writer uh, in the bustling metropolis of new york city mm-hmm. she doesn't even have a rudimentary handle on biology nope or an editor who's who's vetting anything she's she's writing she doesn't, yeah. she doesn't oh yeah i see she's yeah so good she doesn't well, it's, it's for vogue her. or something what do they care <laughs> So would you recommend to, to any of our listeners no. th- that they watch either of these movies or just listen to the podcast? Just listen to the podcast if you want. Like, <laughs> yeah, if, it's up to you. If Follow sounds, Jenny. If it fa- sounds terrible to you, do not do not listen to it. But dip your toe in. I mean, it, it's pretty you wacky. And on a secret on what the podcast actually is, it's it's nothing. It's not much to do with the movies. It is <laughs> in content. We talk about the movies lots. But what it is as a whole is actually tracking Guy and I as individuals, as friends up against this challenge and it's about watching us go insane a, over a course a, of time Sisyphean or Sisyphean task you guys have decided to undergo maybe if I knew what that word <laughs> yeah. meant I would that, agree that dude had to push the rock up the hill to have oh, it roll right. yes. down yeah. again for that eternity. is exactly what it is once yeah. a week and what I would recommend people do though is if they're ever in Los Angeles go to the observatory at Griffith, Griffiths Park is Griffith it? Park Observatory it's so cool we just went up there the other day and yeah. um, it's excellent there's yeah. like and all you, these old telescopes and, and if you play your cards right when you're driving down uh, you can turn into a local neighbourhood and go around an open home as Tim and I did we, <laughs> we pretended we were a gay couple <laughs> looking for property in Los and Angeles. we took a stroll around a 2.8 million dollar home in the oh, hills we got a state agent to take us uh, around no we actually have a few other houses to look at this week so we'll get back to you <laughs> Excellent. Was, Guy it, was, it, was oh. it nice? Was it? <laughs> Tim, no, Tim, Tim kept loudly saying he wants to tear up the carpets. Uh, <laughs> well, the floorboards upstairs were so good. Yeah. And then downstairs. They had a beautiful they finish upstairs and then a sort of carpet. mildewy looking carpet. Well, also, it wasn't wide for fiber internet. So, <laughs> what do you, what do you no interest do? 2.8 million? Yeah. <laughs> were you saying these things like to each other but loudly enough? Audibly, the, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> we're not idiots. <laughs> really try and sell it to the guy <laughs> that we were in the market. We came in wearing like three-day-old sweaty t-shirts <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was, it, was it what you were wearing the closing night of the festival when you guys probably, were Probably something very similar. Floor? Yeah, it was, yeah. Like I mean, just sleeping in a van It was sort of an experiment in how much our accents can mask in terms of how seriously someone's forced to take us. Because yeah. like, yeah. this guy's got no and idea like, whether or not we're millionaires yeah. or not. Well, you sort of, like, LA, I think in general, people have a tendency, like, the richest people dress the shittiest yeah. as a point of pride. Well, like thank producers. you very much. I take the backhand <laughs> and the inference. So you went for a kind of mid-level. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, all producers have to dress like Ron Howard, you know, or directors. Like, you have yeah. to have the, like, baggy, like, 90s-era jeans. And, yeah, like, a you've got a weird long trail. Yeah. You've you got two people who are obviously not American who are here, so that you'd only really be here for one of two reasons. You'd either be on your holidays... And if you're on vacation, why would you be looking through a house? Like, you'd be doing touristy things. You wouldn't be doing this as a bullshit that reason. Unless... So you've got to live here. Yeah. And why would these two guys live here? They're working on a project. Gotta be, they've got to be making some kind of movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. 
So it was it was a nice exper- experience, yeah. and I'm glad you uh, came up with the idea, guy. Uh, we're getting good. closer to our goal, by the way, of uh, owning a 2.6 million dollar house thanks to your kind donations. That's true. Yeah, we're very close. You guys uh, can probably dial it back a little bit, actually. <laughs> thank maybe. you very much, Caroline Laco, with your monthly donation, and Simon Martindale, also monthly, and uh, Paul Freeland. Uh, actually, super generous, Simon. Uh, oh no, sorry, that was a one-off. But either way, very generous. Thank you very much. <laughs> Paul Freeland. I take most of their back. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Simon, you're a winner. The, Fuck it, you're very nice. Everyone who <laughs> donates is very nice. Uh, Paul Freeland also with a monthly donation. Um, Andrew Davis has also donated. Thank you very much. And so has uh, Sean uh, Wally, who is a has a PhD in physics um, and f- still listens to us. Oh, nonsense. <laughs> so thank you. I love it when real scientists listen to our show. Um, although we have now... It took someone, one of them, to point out to me. I was like, why are experts listening to our bullshit? And they're like, hey, scientists aren't experts in all science. Nice. You know, like a a, a lovely reminder. Can I make a recommendation? I know we're wrapping up here, but uh, do you guys do Skype guests at all? We sometimes do. So there's a New Zealand um, science educator and nanotechnologist by the name of Michelle Dickinson, who you guys should look up because she's a really fascinating, awesome woman and uh yeah she's got a phd in nanotechnology and she's a university professor and she also does a lot of like science education and um trying to encourage women to get into engineering and science that sounds and very cool although maybe we should try and use that as an excuse to get to new zealand instead Indeed. i like that idea better um but yeah that sounds awesome also emma wilton who both donated uh an amount of money she had from a paypal refund and then also set up a monthly donation thank so, you emma. thank you that's awesome and she said she i she donated partly in response to an attempted Australian accent. I'm guessing she's Australian, in which case, thank you, and we're sorry. Please. Can you guys do Australian accents? Can I hear your impression of the difference between a New Zealand? Oh, she's pretty similar, mate. you just got to be a little more enthusiastic. Had the most hectic weekend in Darlinghurst, Sydney. That is a, that is a stunning Sydney accent. Although I, I try and do this Australian accent in Australia, and they all say that sounds absolutely balls. Now go back to your regular voice for a second. This is how I usually talk. Oh, so subtle. You so just, subtle. yeah, you just go a little more casual, yeah. I think. Yeah, well, the New Zealand accent but, has the sort of flattened, it's the, yeah. you can look out for like the thus and the We sucks. don't finish any words. We, if you want to do a good New Zealand accent, just clip the last yeah. quarter off Save of every for the word. Save no. And the word no is Where you put an long. I on the end right, of it. Right. Yeah. No. You got it. <laughs> Tim and Guy, where can our listeners find out more about you and your important work? <laughs> if you would like to um, follow us on the podcast, best place to go is facebook.com slash worst idea of all time. Um, and it's got all the links for the iTunes and uh, Stitcher and whatnot there. And I'm on Twitter at Tim underscore Bat, B-A-T-T. I am available on the tweets and the Instagrams at Guy underscore Mont. And I can hardly recommend following me because I am a cool person. <laughs> <laughs> and you can follow us at Probably Science. You can also follow us individually at, at Andy Wood. Andy, Andy T. T. Wood. Wood. Apologies. Wish I could get that anyway. At uh, Jesse Case. <laughs> and Damn also listen to, <laughs> listen to Jesse versus Cancer as well. It's amazing. And at Matt Kirshen. Uh, you can donate by hitting the donate button at probablyscience.com. If you're buying anything through Amazon, please use our link. Why not set that up as the bookmark Mm -hmm. in your web browser of choice so you don't have to remember that. Firefox. Um, And uh, do it. And uh, if you're not able to donate, the other way you can really support us is to spread the word. Let other people know that you enjoy us and help 
us What's gain your Amazon code? What do I punch in? Oh, you, it's, uh, it's not that, it would be nice if it was that easy, but if you just go to our website I'll go to your and then website. click on, and the, link click on the Amazon right. link and then you can just click through to Consider that. it done. Probably awesome. Rate and review. Uh, and yeah, rate and review us on iTunes. Subscribe if you're not already subscribing. Email us with any questions, comments, clarifications at probablyscience at gmail.com. You can also tweet us at probablyscience. Give us stories you want us to cover or just nice comments. And uh, I think that's pretty much everything. We will be back next week. But thank you so much for joining us, Tim and Guy, and safe travels back to New Zealand. Thank you kindly. Thank you.